It's the Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast. I'm Jim Valley. This is the podcast that puts Japanese history and wrestling history into context with current day events. And we head across the Pacific Rim, the Pacific Ocean, to Japan's leading author, journalist, and in this case, historian, and the man who literally wrote the book on Antonio Inoki, my friend, Fumi Saito. How are you, Fumi? Hello from Tokyo. So, Fumi, uh, is your yeah, phone... It's so good to be back. It's good yeah. to be back, yeah. I've been gone. I apologize. I was on a cruise ship when, sadly, Antonio Inoki died. So this was the very... Oh, ah. The very soonest that we could do a show. So we're we're doing this as quickly as, as we physically could. Sometimes, unfortunately, these things uh, happen, but... Hinoki sure. had been in sort of ill health for, for quite some time. Yeah. Well, just to be honest with you, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure that if we could cover, this, it's impossible to cover everything Inoki has done and has accomplished in one episode of our podcast, right? Right. And uh, also the books being written already on the biographies after biographies, the books after books, including mine, that, that that's been written, it's been talked about, it's it's been on in Japanese news. I mean, not the wrestling media, but the regular news, regular newspaper, because he was politician too, and uh, so so much is talked about already. And I like to cover things that they haven't. Well, let's put one for. Yeah, for wrestling fans, of course. Well, I want to put one thing in perspective yeah. for people. Obviously, Dave has talked a lot about this. And he sort of ranks Inoki above Giant Baba as far as historical significance and accomplishments. Puts him maybe only behind Vince McMahon. However, you and I have had the same yeah. conversation when Inoki was alive. And basically, to most people, they're not going to see a ranking between Baba and Inoki. The only actual number one is Ricky Dozan. Yeah, it's, uh, like I always say, you cannot compare apples and oranges. See, Baba, John Baba had, had his own legacy in his own right within the wrestling business and he probably was more respected within old-fashioned old you know old-fashioned wrestling promoters around around the world Inoki was always rebel and pioneer of things that he came up with things that nobody else could come up with like for instance the fight against Muhammad Ali in 1976 a year after he beat George Foreman right like literally Muhammad Ali's peak year, that the crazy Japanese wrestler want to challenge Muhammad Ali in a mixed fight. Oh my gosh, right? That would never happen. It took place. And uh, it took almost 40 years to to reevaluate the fight. Uh, at the time in 1976, it was the silliest thing and the most boring fight, the waste of money, waste of fight, and the waste of broadcast or the waste of satellite. And, but the, he was an innovator that actually Every single wrestling promotion, major promotion, including not just you know Vince McMahon Senior's WWF, but uh, AWA, NWA territories all around the country carried closed circuit 
before pay-per-view, before decades before the internet, there were you know satellite pictures, you know moving image, just like Olympic game that they carried Inoki Muhammad Ali fight from Japan live. That was the craziest thing, you know, the, such thing that the, that the bring wrestling crew into North Korea and and had a big wrestling car at the place where there is no professional wrestling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. Has it, it, how old, like that. How old yeah, were you when that? like that. How old were you when that? Jan Baba was the establishment. But therefore, Inoki was more anti-establishment. If it wasn't for Jan Baba and NWA affiliates, there was no IWGP idea. Yeah, that's the thing. His Baba yeah. was able to bring in stars from the National Wrestling Alliance. The Funks. Yeah. Later yeah, the on. The Funks, the Hardy Race, the old, uh, Rick Flair, too. Oh, from Jim Kaniski, Luthester, in, 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 Pat O'Connor, the, you, you name it, all the history within the wrestling industry's honor, right? And Noki didn't have that resource. No, not until he you know, part, you know, made a partnership with Vincent James McMahon, the senior. Yeah. But even, even that had limits. As far as limits, yeah, that too, and also he pretty much revived Koro Gotch from sixties that made him into the symbol of New Japan Pro Wrestling and the whole concept of strong style. Remember today's New Japan, the logo, the lion logo, still say King of Sport, strong style. The concept is there. That when I was a little little kid. Jan Baba's wrestling is show business. Antonio Inoki's wrestling is real. This, as funny as it sounds, it was like that in seventies. Just because, just because Inoki brought in harder hitting people, and even established American American wrestlers like you know Pat Patterson, John, you know Johnny Powers or John Talos, that the early New Japan stars. They worked Japan in Japanese style when when they came over here. Even the Hollywood blondes, you know, Jerry Brown, Buddy Roberts, they worked serious style when they were here. Is that interesting? Well, you can look at you know sort of uh, lineage that runs through many of Inoki's promotional ideas, from Carl Gotch mm-hmm. all the way up to training Russian athletes. To be professional yeah. wrestlers, oh, yeah. brought in the perestroika, and that the Russia, you know, Soviet Union was no longer, and it became Russia. But it didn't want to open the economy. Inoki took it. It's like, well, let's make these guys professional wrestlers from Russia. Oh my gosh, right? Hashimikov, the Zangief, the yeah, they had their run. Yeah, they even and became- also there was a when there was no such word MMA, mixed martial arts. Inoki was doing it decades before that. Inoki against Ali, the Inoki against William Ruska, the judoka, or Inoki against Chuck Webner, and you know the white professional boxer, and all the karate fighter, kickboxer, to prove that professional wrestling is bigger and better. Yeah. And even to this day, I think it's comedian Bill Burr who did a bit that's very popular on YouTube showing Antonio Inoki smashing up the great Antonio 
Who is that? Ah, Where? that, that. <laughs> yeah, Great Antonio was another that uh, like attraction from Ricky Dozen there. He pulled the bus, like a big tour bus. Right. You know, but uh, yeah, Brown, I guess he wasn't expecting, nobody was expecting a good wrestling match. And this, it, today's footage or the today's you know, producers want to treat it like a wrestling match that went wrong, right? Right. Yeah. Well, I guess it was wrong somewhat, but uh, that was the way Inoki wanted to handle the match. So. And he did it. Yeah. Well, maybe just only in Japan, you know, that kind of match can happen. So at Great Antonio knew he was going to get the crap beat out of him? Uh, not quite, but he was sort of dumb enough to get there and does what he does. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. Yeah, and then Inoki said, okay, and uh, just let's make it quick. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, but the footage is there. So like, like I said, it, this old footage from 35, you know, 40 years ago will be re-evaluated today with today's interpretation. Inoki was so far ahead of everybody in ideas. And uh, well, we'll be re-evaluated re again and again, his footages. You know, speaking of re-evaluation. If you watch Muhammad Ali fight now, it makes so much sense now. But the, back in 1976, nobody knew how to watch that match or knew what was, you know, what was the real reason behind it, that the, Muhammad Ali's people um, basically banned Inoki from using any wrestling hold or you know, grappling or any, you know, like a basic physical can contact. And what, what can you do but lay there and kick his legs? Inoki did what he did. And also people thought that, that was like a work, but he wasn't. But the you know he never talks about it in, in in the details. And twenty years later, thirty years later, now forty plus years later, people watch Inoki Ali footage with educated eyes, and it all made sense now. You know what I'm saying? He knew a lot of things, considering all the many controversies that Inoki's oh, many. been involved in. He never, he's the, he, the epitome of never let him see you sweat. <laughs> right. Or real self in that, even. Um, he's, he, he's real, real Inoki is Kanji Inoki, born in Yokohama, you know, discovered by Ricky Dozen, a professional wrestler, became Antonio Inoki. But he was always Antonio Inoki 24-7 since then until the day he died. I, I don't know who, you know who can say I knew him very well. It's that very elusive, right? Yeah. And he was been written and things been talked about, good and bad. And like you said, you know, is there something that... The, we weren't, you know, like people were not supposed to talk about why, you know, while he was around, while he was here. No, it's like every pretty much all the good things and all the bad things uh, he has done or accomplished in that, that uh, it's been written, it's been talked about, it's out there, but still not really have like a clear conclusion, it's just interpretation and perception. You know what I'm saying? You know, I saw Hulk Hogan 
mentioned that a lot of his career, he said on Facebook, was seems like it was spent. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. And he said that the Hulk Hogan said he felt like he he spent half of his wrestling career was New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is not all that far from, you know, the, the fantasy. He first five, seven, five, six years of his wrestling career. How, I'm talking about Hulk Hogan. He really spent time here. Yeah. Uh, between 80, uh, 80, 81, 82, 83, I believe that he was in Japan, like making like a 15 to 20 weeks tour a year, like a four or five tours a year, back and forth, back and forth. Spreading time between Minneapolis, AWA, and in Tokyo, New Japan. And, and he was here a lot. And he was sitting in the dressing room side by side with Antonio Inoki and learned how to be national hero and how to be the complete baby face and how to sell to the big heels or how to run the subtle, subtle storyline, the, the believable storyline and angle. And uh, yeah, uh, just be a character 24-7, basically. He, Hulk Hogan really learned that from Anthony Inoki. And he respected him. Obviously. You know, there was also... Yeah, and then, well, yeah when Hulk Hogan came over here, to, for I say he, he's been back for other reasons, you know, like even, you know, m movie thing or that he just came here for, you know, vacation. But the last time he was here back in... Um, uh, to, for the match, so it was like a 2003 or something, that he wanted Inoki to come back and have another match. <laughs> it didn't happen, but the, the match Hulk Hogan wanted to have was Inoki against Hulk Hogan part five or something. Uh, you know, the other thing Inoki did that probably would connect with uh, modern wrestling fans, the World Peace Festival, the Wrestling Peace Festival oh, in California in 96. Where Chris, was it 96? Yeah. You know, Chris... And uh, UFC was already happening, you know, a year before that or something, and Inoki sensed it. It's, of course, that's his political peace festival, but they wanted to have somewhat a MMA nature in it, too. You know, brought, brought in people like Dan Severn. Yeah, that's where Chris Jericho got a job with WCW, with... Eric Bischoff ah, there. Met right, right people at the right time in the right place. Yeah. yeah. Oh, now that this is Chris, Chris, such a veteran, and he's the icon, and he's the, you know, the marquee wrestler in a company. But uh, yes, he was a young puppy then. Then, of course, there were some other odd Antonio Inoki promotions, like going to South Korea or North Korea, I should say. Yeah, actually, this North Korea tour mm. happened more than once. Uh, the most famous one being '96. On was it '95, '96, '96? Yeah, yeah. The first night, Antonio Inoki against Ric Flair. It's almost like a ten year, fifteen year too late. And then it was actually the first time and the only time Inoki and Ric Flair were in the same ring at the same time. So they never worked together, but they just went in there and then had the match. And so professional, they had this complete Antonio Inoki style match, and Ric Flair, you know, tasted in it. They did that in front of this what the hundred eighty thousand people who have never watched professional wrestling in their lives. And uh, it was interesting. Ric Flair took Inoki's Enzigiri pretty well for the first time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, and getting back to what we talked about earlier, 
how Ric Flair was the NWA, which Baba and All Japan were were yeah. members of. So it's interesting, you know, like in after Inoki left, you know, to be a politician in early, you know, it was eighty nine, but the ninety ninety one, the New Japan and WCW made a partnership. That's NWA lineage, you know, and uh, what Inoki was fighting for against, you know, all these years, but. Uh, it's it, it all changed in, in WCW and New Japan made a partnership and uh, and uh, eventually Inoki against Ric Flair did happen. Maybe a decade too late, but uh, yeah, it, it did. Well, but way back in like in, in the late sixties in, into nineteen seventy, there was Inoki against Tory Funk a couple times, you know, twice, and uh, there was things like Inoki Baba against the Funks. You know, when Inoki and Baba dropped the international tag team title for the first time and the last time. And uh, it was the last time Inoki and Baba ever teamed, you know, besides 1979 All-Star card. But that's a special occasion. But also, Inoki, you and I talked about it before. You see, there was very Japanese promotion, you know, the wrestling companies, you know, format that you create uh, international heel superstar in Japanese market, see the legacy of Abdur, people like Abdul the Butcher and uh, Taiga Jit Singh. It's been so overlooked in the English-speaking world, but it was Baba had Abdul the Butcher for his regular heel opponent, and Inoki had Taiga Jit Singh as his regular heel opponent, like all year long, long. Like when I was in junior high or something, it, it felt like. I was watching Baba against Abby in one channel and Inoki against Taiga Jitsu in one ch- channel all year long, <laughs> you know. But uh, he created this international superstar, you know, for your for your opponent. Stan Hansen comes into picture. Like, uh, see, Stan Hansen was brought in from New York a year after this Bruno San Martino, you know, breaking his neck thing. Remember? Right. Yeah, Stan Hansen was brought in from WWF, and he, this is a man who broke living legend Bruno San Martino's neck with his Western Lariat, and that that's the, you know, his new challenger for the NWF title, and uh, they had series and series of title match until Baba decided to sign Stan Hansen away from him in 81, and he basically stole Stan Hansen. But Stan Hansen ended up working All Japan Pro Wrestling the next 20 years, 81 to 2001, until he retires. So this is like a crossover dramas in this Japanese wrestling market. And Inoki, Baba, Inoki needed Baba at one point, and Baba needed Inoki. The both companies were just as big. Well, there was also the bidding over Bruiser Brody, too. Oh, yeah, that too, yeah. That. There are quite a few. Like People like you know, Dick Murdoch from old Japan to New Japan and, you know, like a Chavo Guerrero classic from New Japan to old Japan. Uh, there's, there's quite a few, yeah. You know, speaking of that... It was the battle between Inoki and Baba, but it was also a battle between Channel 10 TV Asahi and Channel 4 Nippon TV. You know, I never met... It, it, I never met Inoki. involved bigger capital. I never met Inoki, but we saw him... At the Giant Baba, Abdul the Butcher retirement, the twentieth anniversary Giant Baba Memorial Show, and Inoki. Oh, okay, uh, 
What was I, I thought it was uh, Abdullah the Butcher retirement. Well, if I was there, you were there. Because I wouldn't have been oh, okay. there. Anyway, that sumo hall. This was the same thing. Yes. The same card with Abdullah the Butcher in the ring later. But anyway, Inoki comes out and he addresses the crowd from ringside, which is odd in a wrestling match because that's why the ring is elevated. But he had promised sure. to never get stand in an all Japan ring. And it was a promise that he kept. Yeah, but it wasn't even announced. Right. Who ever knew about his philosophy got it right away. Right. He wouldn't you know, step into the ring. He really stood outside the ring and had a mic, huh? You yeah, know, he, he had his speech. It was kind of difficult. Yeah, it was. He was probably difficult for a lot of people to see, and there's probably people wondering, like, it'd be easier if you got in the ring for us or even the steps. But no, he stood right there on the corner and uh, spoke to the crowd and kept his promise yeah. not to get in an Al Japan ring. And uh, he never did. What yeah, a- yeah. He, very precise about it, I guess. What about the philosophy of Enochism? He was... Uh, <laughs> Like we, we've been talking about, yeah, he's always an innovator and a creator and and a pioneer of things. But at the same time, very tradition, traditional, traditional wrestling philosophy that he's like a complete, basically kayfabe interview he does. He talks about his wrestling as a real sport. He always did. And also, see, you know, some of the old timers say, back in my days, it was all real. Now it's all sports entertainment. You hear that all the time. Don't you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, but the, for Inoki or any media interview, it doesn't have to be a wrestling magazine interview. It's just, it will be a, you know, network television interviews or newspaper interview or sports illustrated type of interview that he always stay in the same position. He talks about his wrestling as something real. And he, when when Inoki start talking about this, you know, his what he has done and in, in wrestling being so you know like a real, and you think it's fake, it's not. And it's just who, who's going to interrupt that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How did he? So he was. He always always talked about. Wrestling, his wrestling as real, and what they've done, or his, you know, student, his pupil, his proteges and, and disciples, they are all real. And uh, if it wasn't for Inoki, the concept of UWF wouldn't come up. The concept of shoot wrestling wouldn't come up. Ultimately, there was no such thing as MMA today. If it wasn't for Inoki, I believe that. What about I, his? I'm sure that the. Gracie, you know, family or other people would have started, you know, started it, you know, that uh, such thing called MMA. When when the UFC started, they didn't have name for it, so they used the name No Holds Barred, but it wasn't politically correct, so they had to come up with a new name. It ended up being MMA, that the mixed martial arts. That's a very name that Inoki was using back in the early 70s. Isn't what that a, interesting? What about his political scandals? How did that hurt him? From a uh, a public standpoint, yeah, yeah. For new newer listeners out there, that, that he was uh, the national, you know, parliament, you know, upper house parliament, uh, two terms, 
between 1989 to 1995, six-year term once. Then he was gone for, not gone, but he, he kind of basically sidelined. He ran for public office again back in 2013 and served until 2019, uh, two, two separate terms. And there was a scandal that uh, when you become politician, you see cash, money flow that he he even you know didn't see as a as a wrestling promoter. So something well, he done a lot of things, you know. And then a lot of things will come out, and uh, there's a basic scandal. But uh, you know, he was always pretty dignified in the interviews. That uh, it's almost elusive. He didn't talk when to talk about this, the details of money scandals or anything, but uh, uh, he say, "I'll be fine." You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he was fine. You know, pretty soon that the scandal itself would be gone, and you know, he's still around. I mean, after all these things came and and and, and was gone, and uh, you know, he was still there, like after, before, and after the storm. Kind of thing. Not everybody can do that, but Inoki can. Nothing can beat him. Huh? I guess. I guess not. Yeah. And always, there's a group of people within media that always want to go after Inoki. You know, like a reveal him. You know, his Inoki's dark side and all that thing. And there was, at the same time, you always have equal equal amount of people that who helps Inoki too, because they love Inoki. Not not just within wrestling business, but in media, there were a group of people that who loved Inoki. You know, so this is like almost all Inoki's story is always like a double-edged sword. There are a group of people who go after uh, his scandal. There are a group, another group of people who you know like support Inoki's you know I, I don't know action or that uh, or undertaking or whatever. Yeah. So New Japan, cool. New Japan just uh, gave Inoki an honorary declaration, a new title, and he's and he's passing. But yeah, for the the forever chairman thing, right? Yeah, they were going to announce it announce it at at, at the October 10th Sumo Palace show, like next week, and uh, this past January 4th Tokyo Dome card card that if he was well enough that he was going to come to Tokyo Dome and make a short appearance at the gate, you know, like a, at the ramp, you know. Uh, he was already in the wheelchair thing. What's so mysterious about him that the, when he comes to public, he gets up and starts walking. You know what I'm saying? Because he does With his cane, but the, he, he, is, he, he has been on the wheelchair at least last couple, three years. Wherever he goes, at the airport gate, that... Uh, He's been pushed, you know, this, he's on a wheelchair on a, you know, airport concourse gateway, anything. But the people tend not to videotape that, you know. That's not the Antonio Inoki they want to see. It's been videotaped, but the, the barely shown it, you know. And at the end of, you know, at his last six months or so, Inoki basically decided to show current Antonio Inoki on his YouTube YouTube channel until his last day, you know, he share last, like final moment with his audience or something. That, uh, yeah, Inoki was on his YouTube channel probably until two weeks ago. That's incredible. Well, some people said, I, you know, they didn't want to see Inoki that way. 
but Inoki was willing to share his current like, moments with the audience. You know, this is how I am now. And uh, but if you are alive, you can do anything. Like it's almost like like a pope, <laughs> you know. Yeah, he had shown some video of himself at the doctor's office where he was having some some struggles. And yeah, that was very un Inoki like to show that. Oh God. Anton Inoki too can be seventy nine year old sick person, right? Heck. But he was willing to share that yeah, with, with the audience. I mean the large me. audience that he has. Right, tell me about it. Um so there had been sort of a reconciliation between Inoki and New Japan Pro Wrestling. I understand that, yeah. Yeah, basically Inoki sold the company, you know, two decades ago, and there was struggle within New Japan that, you know, to erase in Antonio Inoki's image or Antonio Inoki's shadow of it. And uh, today's New Japan is much like your WWE and all superstars and big shows and big guard and very popular on, on their own rights. At the same time, they became big enough that uh, they wanted to, yeah, men's, yeah, uh, what, what was between Inoki and, I mean, Inoki and New Japan company, but they, New Japan wanted to, yeah, uh, mend that or, or wanted to have Inoki image one more, you know, once again. And uh, it wasn't New Japan who, who needed Inoki or who wanted to make friends with Inoki. It wasn't Inoki who needed to be friends with New Japan. It had to be that way, you know, in, in the mechanics. Well, I think you had two things. I think you had two things. I think one, I think Inoki's scandals and things, uh, you know, put him at sort of a a low when it came to popularity. And two, I think New Japan had to get itself out from under from a very long shadow cast by Antonio Inoki. And so once, you know, this new incarnation of New Japan got on its feet and then on its own, so to speak, and the public kind of came back around with Antonio Inoki, you sort of have those two vectors working at the same time, and then you have the reconciliation, which is great right at the end. I think the the public wants that that reconciliation, and I think a company wants that too. You want to be able to acknowledge your founder. Yeah, like happy ending. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because today's New Japan's people within the company rem- remembers clearly that Inoki decided to sell New Japan Company in the middle of this wrestling dark age. If you remember, right? Yeah, and that was like rock bottom wrestling business era. This two thousand two, three, four, five, six around there, and the uh, peak of MMA people instead of traditional pro wrestling people at the time. Yeah. So that, that was, you know, that was then, this is now, but uh, so Inoki always had this um, sense of like what's coming and what's going to be big and, and what's not, what's, what's in and what's out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. You know, he also was pivotal in creating Big Van Vader. Oh yeah, yeah. Or, or way back in the early, early, 
70s, he created Kill Under the Giant. Remember, Under the Giant was like your, you know, wrestling ambassador that he travels around the world all year long. You know, in territorial days, when when Andre Andre comes to what the Oregon, that's a mega event, Super Battle Royal or something, right? Oh, that was my first card I saw as a kid, Andre the Giant. Yeah. When he went to Dallas, it was a super show in Dallas. The one weekend, the Battle Royal, and Andre appears and all these AWA every Thanksgiving or November or something. He only comes in once a year for the big super heavyweight Battle Royal and one title match I watched as a, you know when I was a senior in high school in Minnesota the under the giant against Nick Bachwinkle AW title match 60 minute Broadway oh my gosh you know so Andre was like a traveling ambassador of Vince McMahon senior and when he was not traveling around the world he was working New Japan pro wrestling 15 to 20 weeks a year that's like a four months out of the year and Inoki decided to use Andre as heel Inoki's opponent instead of being a super baby face. Is, New Japan was the only place Andre was ever heel. And it worked full-time heel. It works like heel. And it was interesting that the Inoki and Andre the Giant had good wrestling match. See, people, well, maybe even now, you have to be over 45, 50 years old to remember Andre the Giant, Andre the Giant in the ring. Most people remember Andre from what the WrestleMania three when Hulk Hogan body slammed him. That's the image that people remember, right? Right. A lot of times. Yeah. But the seventies under the giant was great worker, actually, great wrestler, timing, athleticism, that Inoki and Under the Giant suplexing each other, bridging up and the whole bit. And uh, Inoki giving Under the Giant the short arm scissors the key lock. Inoki picks him up the whole body and then walk around the ring. It's just all, the whole thing. Yeah, just it was incredible wrestling match. If you want to watch one of the, they've done it 30, 40 times in single match. But if you want to watch Under the Giant against Inoki single match situation, 76 Under the Giant uh, Inoki match is pretty much the best one. 76 did, or 77. Did Inoki have to get so permission he, from Vince and uh, Vincent J. McMahon? To turn Andre heel? I don't know. Um, I mean, being senior, right? Right. But Inoki had his freedom of, uh, of uh, I guess, the creative, I think. I guess it must not have mattered. Inoki, these days he was a promoter and producer and a wrestler in the ring, like a starring role. So... He, yeah, he, it wasn't, just, and also news traveled very slowly in 70s that the, what Inoki right. did or does in in Japan, it just wouldn't affect what's happening in New York Madison Square Garden. No, right? but you never know if you need permission or not, because just, I was just curious. Oh, I don't know about the permission thing, but the, as a result, yeah, that the record shows that Andre worked as a heel for decades in, in Japan. Yeah. So that was that. And uh, yeah, brought in a lot of, you know, WWE superstars uh, at the time. And Inoki had a, all kinds of single match. And yeah, what was interesting was like a, when he brought in people like Pedro Morales. WWE, WWF, right? Right. Pedro Morales, too. 
worked like worked as uh, worked Shio in Japan against Inoki. What was the story that about? That was probably the, the, the clear difference between Inoki and Baba's booking philosophy. See, when American superstar come to Japan for all Japan situation, like Dory Funk, Terry Funk, Harley, you know, Harley Race, the, the, the Mill Maskers, anybody, uh, Mark Lowen, anybody, that they work just like what they do in America, just like what we read in Wrestling Magazine. But for Inoki, it's a samurai movie that the Inoki is the biggest, big samurai last boss waiting for American to come in, and then he has a fight and wins. That's New Japan. <laughs> yeah. Which is more like... I watched both. Which is more like Ricky Dozan and facing yeah, like the well, Sharp Brothers. Uh, it's, on, it's on Ricky Dozan's wife's book, that was, you know, that the Keiko, uh, Momota Keiko, that uh, she's, you know, Ricky Dozen's widow, Ricky Dozen's wife, uh, has, has written quite a few books. But in her books, Inoki's a lot similar to Ricky Dozen than uh, he, that the Baba is similar to Ricky Dozen. Which makes so, sense. Yeah, yeah. And Baba was always treated as a rookie, super rookie, like a elite rookie, former Giants baseball player. He was sent to America pretty much right away while Inoki was watching, you know, in Ricky Dozen's back. Right. You know, and Baba was already 22 years old, rookie, you know, former baseball player. Inoki was 17-year-old kid, you know, Ricky Dozen found in Brazil and had him, had Inoki live in, in, in Ricky Dozen's home, like 24-7. So it was like father, See, you know, Inoki, like 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, living at the Ricky Dozen's home. Ricky Dozen must be his dad, right? Yeah. And also when Ricky Dozen died, Inoki was one of the guy who's actually at the bedside. It's not being documented well, but the Inoki, 20 year old Inoki witnessed that night that the Ricky Dozen's passing. Isn't that interesting? So when Ricky... So did... He would be similar to Ricky Dozen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the things about Inoki, the history and the, you know, bio, the whole bio, or the not, not just biography, but the, uh, just all the accomplishments, title reign, the, the tournament winning, all these championship, everything. It's been so, it's been written over and over and, and he will be talked about in the next few weeks, you know, but uh, we want to be a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you, you've interviewed Inoki, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, I never felt like I knew him. I mean, he, I was sitting in the you know the coffee table, the interview table, you know, only what the three feet away from him, right? I didn't feel that I got to know him. I mean, that big. I mean, talking to a historical figure, you know, you'd be so nervous, you know, taping your own interview and taking notes and talking to him. I tried to look him in the eyes, but he did, you know, he looked at me in the eyes too. But I just didn't think that I knew him you know i mean know him as as i mean been watching inoki all my life you know on tv and uh, now you're speaking to him in person but you still didn't feel like i knew him you couldn't get a read on him 
Uh, just, uh, or just being Antonio Inoki, even in front of me. He right. did that just for me, <laughs> for, for that hour, you know. I don't know. It's like when he turns this Inoki and uh, Antonio Inoki off, when he goes home, he, I believe he was Antonio Inoki 24-7. When I spoke to Luthes, somebody like Luthes, he said he was very careful with Antonio Inoki too, himself. I mean, much older and bigger style even, I mean, from different era. But uh, Luthes even said that uh, he is being Antonio Inoki 24-7. So like, uh, he knew it, you know. So uh, even with people, with, yeah, even when Carl Gotch talked about Inoki, that... Uh, yeah, Carl had a lot of respect for Inoki, of course, but uh, he was not talking to Kanji Inoki. That when he spoke with Inoki, it was like he was being Antonio Inoki. He, they, they all knew, even those big, huge legends knew. So when you talk Very, about legendary pro- uh, promoters that people trust, <laughs> Giant Baba is at the top of the list. You know, and there's a few others. The wrestling industry. Right. However, and the last, last of family business running, family running wrestling company type. But Baba is very respected as being a man of his word. A lot yeah, of people pay you well. A lot of people don't have that opinion of Antonio Inoki because he was so sharp that uh, they didn't know whether they should trust him or not. But he was so far away. You know, I mean, or beyond or above or something. Well, like, for example, didn't Bruiser Brody say he regretted leaving Baba and going to Anoki? Because with All Japan Pro Wrestling, you can actually knock the door and walk into Jan Baba's private dressing you know, dressing room, uh, like uh, the night of your house shows. You could never get to Inoki in person uh, when you're working with New Japan. He's over there, but you could never touch him. Inoki's private dressings over there. You could never go there. You go talk to Sakaguchi or somebody, you know, or something, you know, Tiger Hattori will handle you or something. You know what I'm saying? Even Brody, he could not really sit down with Antonio Inoki. So they had to go to Hawaii to sit down with him, you know, together. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. See, Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody, both guys were confident that they could sit down with Giant Baba and talk business person to, you know, like in person. With Inoki, they wanted to do the same, but the Inoki probably, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't have a time of his life for them or something. I don't know. It's just close, but far away. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, even with Brody. Then again, Brody managed to have his way, though. Because if you remember 1985 to 1986 program, that the Ino- in just 1985, Inoki against Brody happened. Six important single matches with not one finish. Inoki went with it. Apparently. See, you would think Inoki would boot, beat everybody, right? Right. But with Brody, it was double count out. Inoki losing DQ. Brody losing DQ and double count out again. Every time it was a packed house, you know, you have over 
10,000 people to witness Inoki Brody single match every time, every time out. But they they carried the program without really have any solution as a, I mean, clean finish. They did it. So Inoki basically recognized Brody, you know, he, he shouldn't beat him. Does that make sense? Right, I mean, but Inoki did do jobs mm. at key times. Yeah, like Hulk Hogan, he had Fujinami do the dragon fall Nelson suplex on Inoki. Inoki got pinned cleaning. When Ricky Choshu became the number one star, Inoki did one, two, three in the middle of the ring with you know, taking Ricky Choshu's, you know, Ricky Lariat. So he did that. Or the Vader debut match the night, the riot. But the Inoki did the clean job, two-minute squash. And Leon White, Big Bang Vader became star overnight. So he did that time, you know, time to time. How did he yeah. handle the publicity from the riot? Um, I don't remember Inoki making comments uh, specifically on that. Yeah, yeah. Because when, almost like a politician, you know, when when journalism or the media was really looking to have Inoki's, you know, public comment, he gets sick and goes to hospital and uh, stay in hospital for a certain amount of time and you can't reach him. How's that? Well, I mean, to this day, I think they don't allow wrestling cards to use the cushions at Sumo Hall. Isn't that right? To this day. <laughs> right. Yeah, which is... Un- oh, no, it's like a second year, you know, the, the first inaugural IWGP tournament final, when IWGP was still the tournament instead of championship to be defended, that the first year, Inoki got knocked uh, out, of, out of the apron and went un- unconscious and went, you know, went right into the ambulance in, 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 in how, 1983 version of how Hogan became the in- first inaugural IWGP tournament winner champion. The second year, 84, Inoki and Hulk Hogan met again and they did the count-out finish, double count-out finish. People didn't like it. They restarted the match. Another double count-out, you know, 10 minutes later, people started rioting. And Ricky Choshu and Masa Saito came in and, and running and destroyed the match. And Inoki, you know, the, the slid him, you know, and went back in the ring and barely beat the count and beat, had a count out finish and won the tournament. And uh, that was the night that the people started putting fire on the building. And the Sumo Association did not let New Japan Wrestling. Uh, New Japan Company used that building for a year. Yeah, they were banned. So when you look back, yeah, what, what do you? Which are your favorite Antonio Inoki matches or accomplishments? Oh wow, there are so many good ones because there's a difference between '70s Antonio Inoki to '80s Inoki and '90s Inoki, and there's another period where, you see, as of 1989, Inoki became politician but wasn't retired. He came back once or twice a year to have a very special single match, like single match against Fujiwara, single match against uh, Vader one more time, single match against, uh, against like a, new guys like a Don Fry, Sting. And uh, yeah, so it's, like a, it's different era, different Inoki. Same Antonio Inoki, but he works differently. In 70s, athletic Inoki had this 
Inoki against Ace Carl Gotch, Inoki against Strong Kobayashi, that was great. Uh, it, I don't know, Inoki against Pat Patterson single match. Oh, there was one time Inoki against Superstar Billy Graham's, you know, single match too, you know. And in the 80s, it was more Japanese oriented. The Inoki against Fujinami, Inoki against Riki Choshu. Only one time that happened, Inoki against Akira Maeda. And those were good. Inoki against Brody happened in 85. Oh, wow. Late 70s, Inoki against Stan Hansen was all good, all good. I can't forget 70s, Anthony Inoki against Tiger Jeet Singh. I mean, I felt like I was watching it all year long. So it's very, very hard to pick one favorite Inoki match. And it's, it's like a, they have this DVD, like a best album box, DVD box, that it was 50, 60 Inoki's important single match in it, in this DVD box. Maybe we should, get, we should all get that, you know, because he's somebody to study, you know. There were 60s Anthony Inoki, 70s Anthony Inoki, 80s, late 80s Inoki into 90s. And he finally retired in April of 1998. So he was, what, 24 years ago then? But he kept being Antonio Inoki without actually having wrestling matches. That's amazing, too. So he became the guy then come in and say, thanks, this car, and does this Ichini-san, da. That's all he did. But people were happy to see him come in with his trademark suit and the red scarf thing. And, uh, you know, he's in the building. Oh, my gosh, right? So I guess in, in a way, he was bigger star after he retired, in a way. Did, you ever, get a, did you ever get a slap from Antonio Inoki? I didn't get that. <laughs> no, I wasn't in line. But a lot of people, like even in the, in the magazine people and the TV directors, they wanted to get in the line because, you know, you know, touch me, right? <laughs> yeah. For those who but don't I had my uh, favorite time that uh, while I was still carrying a you know, camera, well, way back in December of 1983, that uh, Inoki and his crew traveled to Vancouver. Um, Canada, I you know got on the plane from Minnesota, and I was a senior in college still. I flew over to Vancouver to uh, to be the reporter of the card. And after the show, the Suzuka Inoki took all of us out to eat, you know. And Gene Kaniski promoter was there. Stu Hart came in from Calgary, and we all sat and had big, huge dinner. And I had I took the picture that night. Inoki smiled at me, just at me. <laughs> is that good that works yeah yeah but after that you know in japan or in america or the any situation inoki was always surrounded by reporters and photographers even when he walked into this place he always had this whole entourage with him you know that he was never alone it was really hard to get him in person you know like sit down and talk to you know it, it was like that with every single reporters and newspaper people and all that, yeah. So you and I went, yeah. went to the Giant Baba 20th anniversary yeah. memorial yeah, exhibit and yeah. went to his card where like mm -hmm. 10,000 people were there to the memory yeah. of Giant Baba 20 years after he's gone. The exhibit mm -hmm. was packed 
the whole time in a major uh, department store in a major yeah. department store 20 years yeah. after his death do you think yeah. 20 years from now we'll see yeah. a similar outpouring or a similar oh, memorialization of Antonio Inoki of course might even be bigger yeah and also maybe people may build Inoki Museum now yeah well considering his company is higher profile than Giant Baba's company then it would make sense that just yeah, given the today's old Japan pro wrestling is not Giant Baba's pro wrestling oh for that matter today's New Japan pro wrestling isn't exactly Antonio Inoki's New Japan pro wrestling but the legacy Inoki's name you know his he's gone but his his presence and also his place in history or the, his place in japanese culture yeah at large that yes inoki will be very very special and last he was gone he, he you know he passed last saturday 7 30 in the morning 7 40 in the morning the network news or interrupting the you know, regular scheduling TV that the, the, the telep came on the, the television during the regular show, Antonio Inoki has passed. It's like a beep, 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 it's like a, like a, the news, like the earthquake happened. And uh, it's been like this all week that there's a network's been doing special, the magazine's doing the special, every single sports paper, the, the newsstand sports paper has been doing so, you know, every single one of them doing special. Uh, even last night, NHK, that the biggest public, you know, like a BBC in, in, in England, NHK had special program uh, on network last night and more TV, you know, specials coming up. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know when it's in, it probably won't. But the, the more books will be written, the probably movies will be will be made. And the more to come. Yes, that's Antonio Inoki. So it's been a pretty big deal in Japan. Yes, yes. And also, he means wrestling. Wrestling equals, yeah, it was the sort of overall biggest star. But when you talk about pro, res, pro wrestling in Japan, you are actually already talking about Inoki. When you're talking about Inoki, Yes, you're talking about pro wrestling culture in Japan. So it's just like synonymous and just nothing. I mean, nobody is like him, you know. Well, that's it's so hard to explain. So big. Well, that's so the big. thing. I mean, you know, wrestling started in Japan with Ricky Joshu. And you then you had Ricky the Dozen. Ricky Joshu. Sorry, Ricky Dozen. He had the two <laughs> disciples. He had the yeah. two, and you know, this is the last of the disciples passing yes. away. The yes. last direct line to Ricky Dozan. From the beginning, right. right. But Inoki's disciples still here. But basically all retired too, you know, Fujinami, Ricky Choshu, Akira Maeda, uh, Fujiwara isn't exactly retired, but he's 70-something. Right. And, uh, yeah, all these people are basically, you know, even Keiji Muto retiring, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, the very last student of we'll, we'll do a show on him very soon, by the way. Yeah. But uh, Inoki's legacy will live on. 
Yeah. Because he will not be forgotten. That, uh, yeah, you just, I, I see his image is all over the place now. It's just, since last week, it's been so big. And also, I was impressed about this, the, 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 the fact how SmackDown handled his, you know, uh, announcing his passing. See, Inoki passed 7.30, 7.40 in the morning of Saturday in Tokyo, okay? That's 6 o'clock at night in New, you know, in America, in New York. So two hours later, they already put together a thing, and at the beginning of SmackDown show, Michael Cole and Corey Grave announced it. Just two hours later, I was impressed. Yeah, WWE is excellent at production, and, you know, there was probably a time in WWE history where they would not have done that on television. And I'm glad that they've embraced more wrestling and more history, and I'm glad they did something so classy and appropriate. And then Corey Grave even touched upon the fact that he was the first and only Japanese WWE World Heavyweight Champion, although it was not officially recorded, unofficial because of this um, controversial surrounding, you know, he beat Bob Backlund in Japan and relinquished the title after a certain reason, and he never lost it in right. controversial fashion that Vince didn't, rec- in the Vince, Vincent Kennedy McMahon didn't recognize Inoki as official champion. But now that they're talking about it, that Inoki was the only uh, and first and only WWE World Heavyweight Champion, although it was unofficial, but now they're acknowledging it. You look back and, uh, yeah. you know, Giant Baba won the NWA title a couple of mm-hmm. times for a week Three each times. time yeah. In, yeah, in Japan. And so and people are probably, you know, well, why hasn't Antonio Inoki won a major world championship so there was kind of that pressure on him to win it was very actually educational and reminding time for japanese wrestling fans that see jan baba actually beat jack briscoe once right beat harley race twice right actually won the nw world title then he actually drops it in the ring a week later then yeah. people learned about it. They said, yeah, winning a world title, yeah, 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 he's going to lose it in another week, one week, right? <coughs> For Inoki's case, he was a little bit more creative. That the, He beat Bob Backlund in one TV you know, match, and clearly won the title. In the first title defense, Taiga Jit Jit Singh interfered the match and, 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 and destroys it. And the title match. In the meantime, that uh, uh, Bob Backlund uh, gives Anthony Inoki his atomic drop, the the, the knee drop, and uh, pins him one, two, three. Then the one referee says, you know, it's DQ, and then another referee says Bob Backlund won, and Inoki says, I don't want it this way. And it's so creative that the, instead of dropping the title back to former champion and send him back home. You know what I'm saying? Well, and then didn't Antonio Inoki around that same time wrestle in Madison Square Garden? And they... Uh... Yeah, yeah, okay, that was that. Then in Japan, it was announced, it will be determined that Bob Backlund and 
Antonio Inoki will have their rematch at Madison Square Garden next week to, yeah, to crown the real champion. It's controversy ending that the title's vacant. But at the same time, Bob Backlund actually goes home as a champion. And the, the next Madison Square Garden main event was Bobby, uh, the, the Bob Backlund against Big Bob, Bobby Duncan, Texas Deathmatch, as announced previous month. And all the Japanese media, photographers, reporters all went to New York that the, thinking that it was going to be Inoki against Bob Backlund, the, the return match uh, and the final. And uh, as Japanese reporters and the photographers all went into Madison Square Garden, Vincent James McMahon makes small press conference just for Japanese media that uh, Bob Backlund would be having a single match, Texas Death Match against Big Bob Bobby Duncan, that the WWF World Martial Arts Champion Anthony Inoki will be defending his title against Iron Sheik. That's final. I said, oh, 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 no Inoki Bakran match? Oh, oh, wow. That's, it was announced in New York and then they, they took, they all took Inoki against Iron Sheik title, you know, the World WWF Martial Arts Championship match and Bob Back and Bobby Duncan match. And the, sure enough, Bob Backens is WWF champion once again. Well, and, and ba- uh, it was, uh, they handled it so creative. Backlund didn't wear the belt to the ring, though, that night. Right, because in America, it was Texas, Texas return death match. No title match. But right. at the same time, for Japanese media, they were so careful. Hisashi Shima, that the, that the vice president of New Japan at the time, he was holding that the new purple leather WWE belt, like this is a match determined the new champion. The Japanese reporter took that photo, that the Hisashi Shima holding the championship belt, and Bob Backlund clearly walked into the ring without the belt. Evidence. <laughs> it was so creative, though. It was 40 years ago, you know, but uh, yeah. Inoki won the title, WWF title from Bob Backlund in Japan. And never lost it, relinquished the title, as the, the story goes in Japan. And the Bob Backlund won the title back again in America. Inoki was not involved that time. How's that? You know, even if Antonio Inoki hadn't passed away, given all of the crazy belt histories, matches, yeah. outcomes, rulings, DQs, double disqualifications, Jack Tunney <laughs> rulings that we've seen in our lifetime. I have absolutely yeah. no problem with WWE right. We're fans. acknowledging Antonio Inoki as a, a former WWE champion. I think it's very appropriate. Yeah, yeah, the controversy and the storylines all part of wrestling, you know, official or not. Uh, that uh, Inoki was WWE champion in Japan once upon a time, one time, about a week, and he relinquished the title, that's true. And Bob Backlund and Inoki were both at the building, you know, Madison Square Garden building the same night. And Bob Backlund had a match against Bobby Duncan instead of Inoki. Inoki had a match against Iron Sheik that night. And scores settled, I think, right, after all. You know, back then that might have been kind of screwy. Yeah, but, but then t- I thought it was like a really, really creative. But yeah. today it's like, eh, Inoki won cares? the title but never lost it. Yeah. 
today we've seen so much in a week it's like yeah it's fine <laughs> yeah it's not a big deal. yeah oh you have to be more creative today but uh yeah, Inoki came up with a lot, a lot, a lot of creative things over the years. Is he not given enough credit for his creativity? Uh, because you can't say it, because it's for Inoki, his wrestling has been always real. <laughs> How sad. You couldn't say who was a booker, who was a director and producer, and uh, the, 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 he was everything. And, uh, but... Uh, he wanted to be just fighter. Did he ever see that? That his wrestling, his wrestling is real and Baba's was fake. But he never really said it. You know, back in my days, my wrestling was all real. I don't know about today's wrestling. But I mean, just like old, you know, I mean, old timers. But what about his competition? Is what I'm saying. The competition? Would he ever disparage all Japan as not real? Um. Well, no, really wasn't. It wasn't, but uh, evidently, Jan Baba used Abdul the Butcher much better than Inoki used Abdul the Butcher. Different style. Sure. You know? But then again, see, Inoki against Billy Robinson only had one match, 60 minutes. You know, two out of three, four match, one each, and they ran out of time. Six months later, J- Billy Robinson switched sides and going to all Japan, and Baba beat Billy Robinson clean, you know? So when you were a kid, it's like, Baba beat Billy Robinson clean. Inoki couldn't beat Billy Robinson. So Baba fans were saying that, you know, Baba's better, right? But there's a lot of times, a lot of common, you know, opponents. Inoki against Stan Hansen, Baba against Stan Hansen, Inoki against Brody, Baba against Brody. Oh, I mean, that was the only way to compare Inoki and Baba never had a single match in a big show situation. I'm sure there was going to be very hard to have a finish, right? And that never happened. But we were able to compare these with like common opponents. Yeah. So, but Inoki never really said anything about all Japan roster. Obviously, strong roster. I mean, all, all the existing American superstars all went to Giant Baba's All Japan. Inoki had to create his own crew. They, they, they did they did that all the way to 90s when you know when they had Vader Bam Bam Bigelow Scott Norton they were all New Japan stars instead of American company stars does that make sense yeah but but then again Baba was the same way in 90s you know the WWE and WCW they both big companies in America that they all stopped sending wrestlers to Baba's basically Baba cut the tie with Crockett and NWA, you know, that uh, when they were, you know, marched into WCW, that's when Jan Baba decided to have their own American crew, the Stan Hansen, the Terry Gordy, the Steve Williams, the Johnnyist, the Dan Spivey, the Malenkos, the uh, Doug Furness, the Phil LaFonda, all, Abdul the Butcher, Tiger Jason, all, all Japan American superstars. So it was, the, the landscape had changed during 90s yeah it's sort of the yeah, style so, so yeah you definitely needed your own crew yeah 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 so it was i think inoki almost pretended that uh, they weren't competing against all japan you know what i'm saying yeah yeah 
So and always said he never watched other people's wrestling and he never read you know wrestling newspaper or wrestling magazines. So he Inoki always said, "Oh, I don't know what's on it." So here's the question. He read it. Here's the question. He read all the magazines. Here's the question everybody's going to ask this week and has been asking. And you're probably the most qualified person to to answer this question. I am. The legacy of Antonio Inoki. Yeah. What do you think? Wow. It's impossible to put it in one you know one sentence or the one paragraph of it you know i i've been watching inoki all my i feel like all my life ever since i was like three years old this he's the, we, we're feeling this big loss right now you know we realized that yeah we knew it the day would come that he was sick he was 79 but uh at the same time you know that big of a superstar will live forever, right? Then you realize he was human, that, right, he can be gone too. But but he is not gone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's very hard. The loss is like a, the humongous, but uh, he is like he's still here, that the, the image of Antonio Inoki is all over the place. Sure, I mean, his company lives on, his matches live on, he's even in the Bad News Bears, go to Japan. Oh, yeah, 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 he was in it, right, right, Bad News Bears, right. Well, it's not just that, but the Antonio Inoki in your own head, that will not be gone. Now we'll always have the chin of Antonio Inoki. Yeah, yeah, interesting, Uh, huh? Kanji Inoki is his real name. But he will be remembered as with his wrestling name, Antonio Inoki. Yeah, I mean, like a, a person, but it's a character, and it's a, of course famous wrestler. But way beyond that, it's Antonio Inoki is somebody that you know as Antonio Inoki. Well, I don't know John Wayne. I don't know. You know, JFK, I, 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 I don't know just like who to compare to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's incomparable. And I'm sure maybe we'll have some questions from people who hear this show and me. <laughs> we'll probably answer some things and keep talking about him. I would imagine. I think so. In future episodes. Um, yeah, how- it's like almost it's like a sad, but not sad. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So big. So tell me, um, where can people get in touch with you? Okay, uh, at Twitter, at Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihiko Dayo, or just Fumi Saito on Facebook. And please message me first. I'll friend you first. You can find me at Jim Valley on Twitter. Oh, and I just started doing uh, TikTok. So you can find me at Jim Valley, F-K-O-R for the effing king of recovery. So if you want to follow me there. So we'll take your questions, perhaps talk about other Japanese wrestling and we'll get together next week. I promise. So yeah, until next time. So long from Tokyo.